0: Good morning to you. It's really always good to be in Lake Mary. I love being up here. Thanks for giving me such a warm welcome. Don't get up here uh, as much as I'd like. But uh, I'm also excited about Tuesday coming up. I think that's going to be a great time. I'd encourage you to come. OJ, a little bit too humble to mention, it's going to be a special night for OJ. And uh, I want you to know that he will be ordained on that evening, in case you didn't know. And I think he would appreciate uh, any of you who could make it just to come and celebrate with him. That ordination, your campus pastor, is one of the finest men I know, and he's just been delightful to get to know over the years I've been involved in Summit. He's, he's consistent and uh, diligent and kind and walks with Jesus, and so I, I thank God for him. I just wanted to mention that to you as well. So, uh, what, what exclusive club do you belong to, or any club at all? What, what organization do you belong to that just sort of you know, sets you apart maybe a little bit? Uh, maybe it's something you were involved in the past. Maybe you were in a fraternity or a sorority in, in college. Uh, maybe you were Phi Beta Kappa. I wasn't. I just want to let you know that. Um, maybe you're, you are belong to a country club or exclusive club that way or just like um, Rotary or Kiwanis, uh, clubs like that. I'm not involved in any club at all, um, except one. I belong to the United Club. United Airlines uh, has a uh, has a club uh, in, in some of their major airports. There was one in Orlando. And uh, I've always noticed that people would veer off. You know, when I was waiting for a flight with United, and they'd go into this special place where people would have to see their ID before they could go in and, and uh, got in. One day, some friend brought me in. I thought, oh, I want to be part of the United Club. so. Uh, When I go to the airport and I'm flying United, I get to be part of the United Club. It makes you feel a little bit special, have those amenities, right? Well, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to see an invitation, an invitation that Jesus gave to his disciples centuries ago and extends to us as well. And he is inviting us into something. He's inviting us into the, the, the kingdom that he is establishing here on earth. So we're beginning with this, this as OJ said, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this takes place in the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, it's a, uh, a beautiful place. In fact, my wife and I were, were privileged to travel to Israel in May of this year, and we went to the Mount of the Beatitudes, traditionally where they where they believe Jesus gave this message. It took, actually, my wife took this picture of. Um, that's not it. Yep, there it is. This is up on the hill, and, and the Sea of Galilee is a hazy day, but you can see the sea down there, and and it's a fairly precipitous drop down. Uh, and Jesus climbed up on this this hill, and he gave this sermon. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful spot. I've got a second picture. They've got nice little areas there. This this is me. The crowds have not come yet for my sermon, as you can see, but uh, this is this is just a little alcove they have there, just above where where that that picture was taken. It was. It's such a beautiful place. There's a uh, there's, there's a, a Catholic church uh, on the top of the mountain. It's an octa- octagonal church, beautifully done. And uh, my wife and some friends of ours were just sitting in that church as we, we visited. And, and in walks 35 Romanian Greek Orthodox priests, long robes, beards. And they encircled the, uh, the church and they began to sing. Just the most beautiful worship music you've ever heard. I couldn't understand a word of it, but I began crying immediately. It was just so uplifting. It's a special place. And so this, this, this setting of this sermon, here you can see Jesus and, and we'll start, let's start with, with um, chapter five, verse one. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because, you're, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who are before you. So here, here we, are. we are. We're, we're beginning this, this sermon. This sermon that stretches from Matthew chapter 5 all the way through Matthew chapter 7. Uh, and, and the focus of this is what it means to be a, a member or to live in the kingdom of God. What does it mean for us to live the way we are called to in the kingdom of God? John Stott says that the, the, the essence of, of this message is in, in a little, little phrase in, in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 8, and right in the middle of this message, Jesus makes a statement, do not be like them. This is a, this is a counterculture message. This is, this, it's counterintuitive what Jesus is calling us to. Things that, that, that people were going, oh, I, I'm sure they've never heard it. And, and when you read it in, in the way that I think it's intended to be read, it's calling us to a life that, that just cuts against the grain of where our culture is going. Jesus says, do not be like them. And it's, he's talking about non-believers, but he's also talking about people who've, who've taken the cloak of religion on themselves, but don't live it out. And Stott, Stott says, the followers of Jesus are called in this sermon to be different. Different both from the nominal church and the secular world. Different from both the religious and the irreligious. So, the beginning of this sermon, what we just read, contains probably, arguably, its best-known content. Most people who've who've read the New Testament have heard about and read through the Beatitudes. Uh, Beatitudes is a name given by scholars centuries ago. Beatitudo is the Latin word for for bless and blessing. And uh, so that's how it it got the the title. And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones states that these these eight statements, these, these Beatitudes... Uh, set up the rest of the sermon. So his, his focus, and I believe this, if this isn't just a sermon you just take in pieces and just sort of say, okay, you know, what does this say, does this say. But this is a sermon that expands as Jesus teaches. And, and this is the foundation. This is, if you're going to understand the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to be able to look at and embrace and, uh, and understand and figure out where Jesus is going with, the, with these first statements that he makes, the, these Beatitudes, uh, the, and there's a Greek word here, blessed, that's used all the way through this. Uh, the Greek word is makurios. It's been translated loosely as happy, uh, but happy is not uh, a, a very good translation uh, of this word, really. It, it, it doesn't go uh, nearly uh, deep enough. Uh, it's, and Jesus is, is declaring not what they may feel like, what we're gonna feel like, but what God thinks of us and on account of what we should be. We are blessed. God gives us these blessings, and this isn't just us finding happiness. Certainly there's happiness involved, but but that's not the focal point. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, happiness is never something that should be sought directly. I thought that was an interesting statement. Happiness is never something that should be sought directly. You and I want to be happy, of course. But if my personal happiness is is the the primary mover, I'm off to the wrong step according to what Jesus says. It's always something, happiness is always something that results from seeking something else. Whenever you put happiness before righteousness, he writes, you will be doomed to misery. So if my personal happiness is number one, I'm going I'm to take some steps that, that are not going to lead me in the direction I need to go, according to what Jesus has to say. But righteousness is, is, is the focus. So what's righteousness? Righteousness is just right living, living right, do, doing, doing what you know you need to do or, or, or what is right according to what God wants us to do. If I put that first, then everything else falls into place. And one more thing before we get into it. The way these are delivered is they build uh, on each other. And, and I've always read the Beatitudes like, okay, I'm reading through it, okay, 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 okay. But scholars, uh, and and I believe they're right, Jesus begins with a foundational truth. And then he builds on that all the way through these eight Beatitudes. They depend on each other. And, and hopefully we'll get to see that a little bit uh, as we go into it. The first four are more inward qualities, things that we, we need to be concerned about in terms of what our, our own personal life is. And, and the, the last four are more outward qualities, how we, how we treat and handle and interact with the world, the, the, the people around us. So the eight qualities together constitute the responsibilities, and the eight blessings. There are blessings that come with each of these, the, these statements. The privileges of being a citizen of God's kingdom. Now I usually just give three-point sermons. This is an eight-point sermon. Aren't you glad you came? So I'm go- I'm going to. I'm, I'm not going to take long on each of these. Each of these statements you could spend months on, to be honest with you. you, Plumbing the depths is is impossible to do in any significant way, just just in in a 30-minute sermon. But uh, I want want us to to see the Beatitudes in their entirety and, and to consider them in their entirety, especially how they build on each other, and especially realizing that this is our call. If you're a believer in Jesus, or if you're considering being a believer in Jesus, this is what you and i are called to do this is the template on which we base our lives and you read them and you go oh this is this is not something maybe that would be that i would be initially attracted to but jesus is is obviously very profound and 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 uh, motivates us to see our lives in a different light according to the statements that he makes so first let's do the inward beatitudes the first four we'll just take them one at a time first one Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean, poor in spirit? Uh, This basically is the fundamental fundamental characteristic of any believer, of any Christian, is that we come before God emptying ourselves. There is a poverty of spirit. We know that there, there, as Paul says uh, in in Romans chapter 7, there's nothing good in our flesh. We are always going to be prone to, to, to draw away from God and, and what He is calling us to do. So Jesus is saying the first step and, and, and to receive God's blessing, to, to, to lead a kingdom life, is to understand that we have this poverty of spirit. The antithesis of that is, is self-reliant, uh, self-confidence. Self-confidence is a good thing in, in, in limited settings, but but we're not reliant on ourselves. I'm not reliant on myself for the next breath I take. I didn't create myself. I, 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 I'm not reliant uh, on myself to, to get things done past the limited amount of decisions I have to make in my day-to-day life. God's in charge of that. And moreover, when we come face-to-face with him, we understand that we have fallen away from what God has called us to do. We come face-to-face with our own sinfulness. As people come face to face with God in scripture, you see that there, there's, it's, it's dramatic and, and, and people are, are deeply affected by it. And I think every believer, every true believer, those of, those of you who call Jesus Lord have come to points in your life and maybe consistently points of, of reminder where we realize, oh, I'm a broken person. There's a poverty of spirit. I'm poor in spirit remember years ago counseling a young woman. She, she just had taken steps of faith became, was a new Christian. And she was telling me her life story. And she, she, as she was telling it, she just began to, to weep. And she, she said, uh, you know, people started explain to me who God was and who Jesus was. And then she said this statement she, through her tears. She said, I never realized there were rules. I never realized that God, God had these standards. I knew something was wrong, but I never realized, never saw it in focus. So she had entered into a poverty of spirit. That's the foundational point that we all have to start from. This isn't some, hey, let's clean up our lives and and live a happy life. We need to start from the, the, the place, Jesus says, where we understand that we are poor in spirit. That's the first step to enter the kingdom of God. Second one, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. If you use that that more loose definition of of blessed, happy, happy are those who mourn. It sounds like an oxymoron. It's a self-contradictory statement. How can you be happy and mourn at the same time? How can you feel blessed and mourn at the same time? But Jesus then says, okay, it's not just understanding that we have a clear view of of our sinfulness, but how we respond emotionally to that. I can disobey God and not enter into any kind of repentance. That's that's my choice. But if I understand my sin and understand its implication, and and respond to it, as as someone who is in the kingdom, then I'm going to. That's going to be deeply saddening. I, I will mourn. There's an emotional and spiritual response. Peter, when he was called to be a disciple in Luke chapter five verse eight. Uh, Jesus had just come to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They are out in the boat, he caught any fish. No, cast your nets on the other side. They do. They catch an enormous amount of fish. They realize that this is, this is not a, a typical situation and the man on the shore is not typical. And they, Peter probably had, had heard and maybe even heard Jesus speak before. And he comes into the shore, and, and this is when Jesus calls Peter to be a disciple. But it's fascinating. As I, I was reminded of his initial response to Jesus. And we criticize Peter for a lot of his bravado and, and, and misstatements and his betrayal. But the first thing that, G, that Peter does when he sees Jesus in, in verse 8 is he falls on, her knee, on his knees and he makes this statement. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Here the, the one who's calling him, his initial response when he sees who Jesus is, understands his... Poverty of spirit, he mourns that. He comes face to face with that emotionally. It's it's the process of owning our own sin in an emotional and spiritual way. He goes on. He says, blessed are the meek, another internal quality, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. What's meekness? Uh, it's, It's completely and utterly opposed to everything the natural man thinks Everything that I want for myself, all my initial responses, uh, meekness works against that. Meekness is humility, basically. It's not laziness, it's not weakness, it's not codependence, it's not outward. The meek person leaves everything. He leaves his or her rights, his or her causes, his or her future. Everything is yielded to God's control. It's in the hands of God and his alone. Meekness is not an easy call. And, and Jesus says, if you are meek, if you, if you give up control, here's, here's the promise. You'll inherit the earth. Everything you'll have, you'll know is coming from me. There's an inheritance involved. What, do you, what did you do to earn an inheritance? Uh, you were born into a family, basically, right? But you didn't do anything to, to Jesus says, you, you, meekness is the next step. You're understanding your sin. You mourn. Now you're meek. If you want to test your meekness, drive I-4. Uh, I think that's. I have a friend who just hates uh, driving illustrations, but I just find them compelling. So I drove I-4 up here today. That, that, that was. I tested my meekness today. So you can you can try it later on. Boy, I-4 what? What a challenge! It's it's now it's configured with the construction. It's like a go kart track. You know, you're just sort of doing doing this the whole time, and I'm doing the center lane. And I, you know, I'm, I'm 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 being meek. You know, I purposely was meek driving up. I just want you to know that. You know what happened? I have cars, trucks flying by me either side. You know, with these 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 speeders, right? And and you know, initial you, your initial response is, "Come on, everybody! you know, are you?" Let's, 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 not, let's leave me alone. And, and the meek response is, nope, I give up control. It's not my rights. You see why this is counterintuitive, counterculture? Jesus is calling us into the kingdom. The next step here is meekness. And then, and then the, the final internal beatitude is blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What do you hunger and thirst for? Isn't it interesting Jesus uses the basic, he uses the basic desires of every human physically to focus on where we need to be in terms of our lives and what we focus on. Hunger. Have you ever been hungry? Really hungry? Not just skip a meal hungry, but really hungry? It focuses your senses. You, 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 you have one focus. You ever been thirsty? You ever been gone, gone without something to drink for a prolonged period of time? It just focuses your senses. You just want something to drink. You want something to eat. Uh, years ago when I was first a believer in, in Jesus, someone said, hey, you should try fasting. I said, okay, what's that? That way you go without food and, and uh, for a day they suggest a 24-hour fast. I said, okay. I, they took me through the basics. So I, I picked a day and I fasted. I'd like to say it was a really wonderful spiritual experience, but I had a hard time not thinking about food the whole day. Jesus is saying, look, internally, kingdom living is where do you put your real desires? What are you really hungry for? What are you really thirsty for? Are you hungry for success, for fame, for relationships a certain way? Money, fun. What do you hunger and thirst for? Kingdom living, we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Right living. Doing what God calls us to do. Okay, so those are the four internal. Now let's do the four external. Next one, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What's... What's mercy? What does it mean to be merciful? It means basically to have compassion for people in need, regardless of what got them there. Believers in Jesus, we don't dole out mercy to the people we think deserve it. We give that liberally to everyone because it's been given liberally to us through Jesus. Mercy is relief from negative circumstances or relief from the consequences of bad actions. Another driving illustration. I I was heading to Savannah with my wife. This was a few years ago. I I think we were going to a wedding up there. And and, um, we were driving through Jacksonville. And if you've driven through Jacksonville on I-95, you know, that's a little twisty turny, you know, and, you, you, and you, you just want to get through Jacksonville okay. And we, we made it through okay. We're just on the northern outskirts of Jacksonville. I'm driving along. I'm, I'm good citizen driving. I'm doing everything right. My wife's not complaining. I'm going too fast. So I know I'm doing okay. And, uh, and then I see a blue light flashing behind me and uh, i go oh you know so i pull over to the far right lane because i want to give him access to the per- perpetrator that he's chasing you know i want to stay out of his way he moves over to the right lane and he he pulls in right behind me and i'm going oh i'm the perpetrator and so he pulls me over to the side and a very very nice gentleman he comes he's license registration he says, and now he knows my name, Mr. Keller, he said, do you know what the speed limit is through Jacksonville here? I, you know, and I didn't. I mean, I, I, I guessed, uh, I, think, I said, I think it's 65, isn't it? And he, and, uh, he goes, no, no, it, 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 it's 55, and, and truth be told, you were exceeding the 65 limit too. You know, what, do you, what do you say? He was being nice, he was being truthful. I, I'm sure I was going that fast. And I said, uh, then uh, tell me what what you need to do. He says, well, today I'm going to give you a warning. Those are such nice words when you're pulled (laughs) over. A warning. Oh, a warning. And he just, he wrote out this warning. And and I'm going, oh, this is, he was merciful. Because he didn't give me what I deserved. That's mercy. He's living out kingdom living right there in his his police uniform. Now, if he'd had grace on me, he'd have taken me to breakfast. But he didn't do that, so. Are you merciful? Are you? I find myself too many times doling out my mercy the people deserve it. If people deserve it, I'll give it. But not the people who don't know. That's not, there is no differentiation. What Jesus calls us to. You want to give mercy? Here's the promise. You'll get mercy back. I want mercy back. I need mercy back. Blessed are the merciful. Then he expands on this outward experience. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now that initially sounds like an inward quality, but really is an external quality because translators of this, this is blessed are the people who tell the truth. People that are sincere. People that that live their lives out of a pure heart. There's no spinning there's no avoiding, there's no white lying their way through life. One commentator says, it's the single-minded who are free from the tyranny of a divided self. You ever had a divided self? Well, I know what's right to do, but I, you know it's not convenient, or I don't like the consequences, or no one will know, or that's so inconvenient, or I'm going to be so embarrassed. No, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The psalmist, Psalm 24, says, God... Give me, a clean, give me clean hands and a pure heart. My son recommended a book to me a few months ago, and I've uh, just now gotten around to read it, 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson. Here is Jordan Peterson. He's he's getting to be quite well known. Book's a bestseller. 12 Rules for Life. Who who could resist a book like that? What are the rules, right? And uh, he, he actually does a nice job. It's not a per se, a Christian book, but he uses scripture all the way through it, which is I find fascinating. He's a very interesting guy. And uh, of the 12 rules, I'm on rule number eight. You want to hear what rule number eight is? Well, you're going to hear it anyway, because I'm going to tell you, right? <laughs> rule number eight, here it is. Tell the truth or at least don't lie. There's a good rule. Tell the truth or at least don't lie. You tell the truth. Do you have a pure heart? Do you have a sincere heart? This is kingdom living. A predominant amount of my professional life is counseling people, and and I'm amazed at the number of people who come into my office and lie to me. They're coming for help. I want to help them. But they won't deal with the truth. They're struggling with this whole idea of being pure in heart, being sincere. If you tell the truth, you'll see God. What does that mean, you'll see God? God's all around us, right? You'll see God? Here's how you'll see God. You want to tell the truth? You allow God then to take your telling the truth and work out all the circumstances around it and you watch him bless you as a result. You'll see, we call them God sightings. He's always there, but God sightings are, oh, this, oh, This is God working in my life. This is what he's doing. This is is how God worked this out. Blessed are the pure in heart. Merciful, pure in heart. The next, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's a pretty obvious one. Peacemakers. You're seeking reconciliation with others. Not appeasement, not rolling over, but true peace. If you take this challenge seriously, especially the merciful, pure in heart peacemaker challenge, you you will not have, by and large, a troubled life, a troubled marriage, troubled relationship with your children. Yes, you'll have challenges, yes, you'll have difficulties, yes, you'll have conflicts that need to be resolved. But think about two people who are committed to being merciful to each other, not punishing each other for for things that they've done wrong, and and, and two people who are going to tell each other the truth and own up to things that they've done with a pure heart. Think of two people that are both committed to living life in peace and not in conflict. Want want a good relationship with with your children? Be merciful, be pure in heart, be a peacemaker. Have that as your as your number one folk, focal point. Yes, discipline. Yes, yes, instruct. But this is kingdom living. Okay, we're at the last one. You going in there really well, thank you. Now, there's a little controversy about whether there's eight or nine beatitudes. There are, there are nine blesseds in here, but. I think I think verses uh, 12, 10 and 11 belong together because they basically cover the same subject. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom. But and you notice how Jesus bookends the beatitudes. He starts with with poor in spirit, the kingdom. Gets to the end. Blessed are those who are persecuted. theirs is the kingdom. But then there's this added verse. Verse. Uh, 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. That's sort of hard to do, isn't it, when you're being persecuted? But here's the reason. Because great is your reward in heaven. So this is like, I think Jesus does this, he gives a double blessing. Not only get the kingdom, but your promise, great reward. Whatever God deems that to be, that will be yours. That's the promise. Those who hunger for righteousness will suffer for righteousness they crave. Jesus said so. Paul says it in the New Testament. Peter says it. It's been so in every age. We shouldn't be surprised if anti Christian hostility arises, but rather be surprised if it does not. And not not because we've been goofy or or unloving, but if we're living out what God calls us to do, there's going to be adversity, and, and we will suffer. It's not, uh, it's not something that we can avoid if we're going into authentic kingdom living. Talked recently with a, with a man that I've had known for years, and he's been really successful in his profession, and, uh, but as, as is with a lot of successful people, sometimes there's, there can be <coughs> some difficulty along the way and uh, he had been, and I won't go into any details, been in, in his, his stating of it, and, and I believe him falsely accused of some practices with, with a company that he was with, and, and uh, was going through all sorts of legal things and, and, and anticipating a trial, and all sorts of negative things happened. And, and as he was going through this, he said, Jim, here, the only thing I did in all this is I told the truth, I told the truth all the way through. And I'm trying to find some way where I can bring, you know, make this work out, be a peacemaker. But I, you know, and I watched him go through, and he suffered. He was, honestly, he was being persecuted. I, I never had been persecuted at the level he had. It is Things said and done. He said, "I'm holding on. I'm, you know, I'm really going to trust God with this." So, last time I met with him, he said, "I, I think it's finally resolved. I, you know, I've decided to." Uh, uh, settle this case and, and the dire things that could have happened didn't happen and, and the settlement was Something he said I shouldn't I shouldn't have to settle anything because it but it would go on for three more years I can't this is it's too much. I've been going out for, for so long So he said the day that I that I sent sent the final agreement off to, to The the people that, that were doing this litigation that that day I got a windfall for almost double of what I was going to owe double. He says, he he looked at me and says, it's God. This is God. And I can't believe it, and it's just, I had no idea this money was coming. Uh, You couldn't have predicted it. But the very day I did it, there it is. We're going to have hard times. That's part of kingdom living. We can't avoid it. But we will partake in the kingdom. And there will be a word. Reward. You will see God. You and I will see God. So the United Club, I remember the United Club. And I have to confess to you, I pay money for that privilege. I pay money to be in a club. I suppose a lot of people do. The good news of the gospel is that there is no fee. There's no requirement for entrance. All the fees have already been paid. And there's nothing but good that will come. And Jesus calls you and me to radical living. Kingdom living. We're internally, we, we, we are poor in spirit. We mourn. We're meek. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. And externally, we take... We take our lives and we say, Lord, help, us, help me to be merciful. Help me to be pure in heart, to tell the truth at all times, sincerity. Help me to be a peacemaker. And God, when you take me into difficult times, help me understand that that comes with this commitment, but that you will always walk with me and that I will see your hand in my life. You're all invited to the kingdom. If you haven't made that decision, you make it today. And if you're in the kingdom, I want to call you what this passage called me to. Let's live like it. Not just piecemeal and pick the beatitude that you like, but the whole thing. You're invited to the kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, and I thank you for these words spoken two millennia ago on a hilltop in northern Israel. And the call that day is the same today. And Lord, I pray that I and every man and woman here would hear it, we'd respond to it. And God, I pray that you would, as you promised, bless us as we are obedient to your call, relying on your power to live out the life what you've called us. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for your kingdom. Help us to be kingdom people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.